This episode of MBSing is sponsored by Field Notes brand. USA made memo books and other products, including seasonal limited editions. Visit fieldnotesbrand.com or 400 North May. I do my hair toss, check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? Hello, welcome to MBSing. I am your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today is my friend, Mary-Kate Walfall, and she talks to me about her love of human communication, specifically where it relates to restorative justice practices and nonviolent communicating. And we spend a lot of time breaking down what all of those things mean, how Mary-Kate came to be interested in things like nonverbal communication, what body language speaks to especially when performing because she spent time in physical theater school and it was a real joy to kind of move through that process into what she does for a living as a communicator and a institutor of restorative justice in CPS schools and uh, I think that this conversation It'll be on the nose to say, but speaks for itself. And Mary-Kate is a wonderful conversationalist, a joy to talk to and to really unpack all these things with. It gets very in-depth, very topical, I guess, at times. So thank you for wanting to listen, and I truly think this is a great conversation. If you'd like to hear more of Mary-Kate, you can listen to her on the Improvised Star Trek podcast Truly, truly one of my favorite podcasts of all time, as I've gone on record saying on this show many, many times. But it can't be said enough as far as I'm concerned. It's a fellow member of the Chicago Podcast Cooperative. So if you like MBSing and you like Improvised Star Trek, there are many other shows in the Chicago Podcast Cooperative that you would also enjoy. There's some great interview shows great nerdy pop culture type shows and I think there's just a little something for everyone and I thank them for their continued support and coordination of sponsorships. If you would like to see myself and some other members of the Nerdlogs as the panel on the match game, you're in luck this Saturday night at seven o'clock in honor of our member Eric Garneau's upcoming birthday. You will be hosting a match game with us as the panelists and some friends of ours as the contestants. And uh, we actually have some match game questions from a writer of the game in Gary Lucy, who we are currently collaborating with on a new podcast project called Let's Get It On. And he's graciously provided us with some questions for our own game right here live in Chicago. So if that sounds like fun, come help us celebrate Garneau's birthday with the match game and definitely check out Let's Get It On as Eric and Gary and many other talented voice actors have put in a lot of work to make it a great, unique show. Thank you so much for listening to this. Enjoy this conversation about communication. I knew this would be a good story time shirt because it's so funny. It's and so I can't good. believe it's that this is actually when I know. this theater was established. 1969. <laughs> Trailer trash yeah. since 1969. It's just yeah. a hilarious shirt in general. Yeah. And the fact that it's for my college theater company is even better. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And it's purple. Is Furman's colors purple? Uh-huh. Is Furman's colors purple? Mm-hmm. Furman's colors is, is purple. purple. <laughs> Good. <laughs> 
Were you went to school in the South too, didn't you? No, no. I grew up in North Carolina in Charlotte, but I went to Princeton. Oh, that's right. I but, knew you had North Carolina ties. Yeah, and Princeton, among like Northern schools, and especially among the Ivies, I think has a lot of Southerners there. Really? Yeah, I think it's actually one of the more conservative of the Ivies. Ivies. Yeah, or has like a larger conservative population. Hmm. I know Furman was like 75% Southeastern students. Whoa. So even though that other 25, I think, was pretty diverse, mm-hmm. the the, uh, the 75% very much outweighed it. Yeah. A bunch of good old boys and girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like your Kappa Alphas. and. <laughs> that, yeah, I, that's part of why I went to Princeton was like, when I was in high school, I went to a private school that was like, uh, people that believed more differently from me, like more conservative. Huh. And uh, in my senior year, because of theater stuff, I was friends with all these people that went to the art school, Ooh. Northwest School of the Arts. And they were like, you're so lucky. And I, I was like, what are you talking about? And they said, well, we're just in this echo chamber. We all believe the same oh. things. You actually get to like test your ideas out and like talk to people and try to convince people or like have this like real, real discussion of what you know what your ideas are about interesting yeah i thought i truly thought i was gonna go to brown and then i visited brown i loved it i told people like i'll see you next year yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then I was, and then i visited princeton and it was like um it was a really beautiful campus uh-huh. i felt really happy there and then i started thinking about like is it do i want to spend four years around people that believe exactly the same as me wow or do i want to like you know, know these people who who are different from me and make that connection. It's amazing to me that that was something that was already kind of part of your thought process. Yeah. You think you were just kind of primed to experience something different from North Carolina? <laughs> I think I was. I was. Yeah. Uh, and I, I was like, am I, it, it was going to be bigger. No matter where I went, it was going to be mm-hmm. bigger than my high school. I knew sure. I was going to find more people that were like me wherever mm-hmm. I went. Mm-hmm. Even so, like right now, nine years out, my improv group at Princeton is having like their 25th anniversary. Cool. So I was going to go back for that reunion and I I don't want to. <laughs> it's not about the improv group, actually. Yeah. I, I would love to hang out with the improv group, but like um, for some reason over time I've been like, oh, everyone's going to be in business and like oh. hedge funds and I for some reason feeling like I have to prove myself about what I'm doing in mm-hmm. my life right now, but also feeling like a disdain for that life choice for the choice of like, I want to mainly go after money. Yeah. It's really interesting how since we graduated college and we both graduated like around the recession, mm-hmm. how much higher education and the years after have changed, mm-hmm. even in just the national dialogue, because the, our class <laughs> classes got so hard screwed. <laughs> yeah. Now it's all about debt. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, is it worth it to go to some of these places right. if you're going to graduate in debt? Right. My guest today is Mary-Kate Walthall. And she's going to talk to me about uh, communication properties and how else you, I've, I should have looked back at how you pitched it to me. But. No, that's fine. I, over the past year or two, or maybe four, I've <laughs> been nerding out about communication in general, both nonverbal and verbal. 
And so nonviolent communication is something that I've been learning a lot about and restorative justice practices, which is also about like relationship building and communication. What is the origin of your uh, interest in all of this and your kind of knowledge for it? Well, um, when I went to college, I couldn't a part of it also was that I couldn't major in theater there uh, at Princeton. You, it's just not a. Yeah. Not an option. Yeah. You can't actually, or when I went there, maybe it's changed, but uh, you couldn't actually major in the practice of an art form. So you could major in art history with a certificate in visual art and like practice your visual art that way. Or you could major in English and get your certificate in creative writing. writing. Yeah. Huh. And so you can major in English with a certificate in theater. And I kind of like that. I was like, I know I'm going to perform and I want to have something else going for me as well. Yeah. So yeah. I majored in psychology. Cool. And those two threads uh, of like creativity and and interest in how humans function yeah. uh, have kind of run throughout my life, I think. And so I came here to Chicago, was doing improv and got into doing clowning, then went to physical theater school and physical theater and clown, I was interested in the fact that like, we think we're communicating one thing and we're, you might be communicating something entirely different. Huh. So, so many times in clown classes or in physical theater school, I'd go up on stage and do something and not realize that what other people saw in what I did was different from what I thought I was communicating. Sure. And because you only have so much control over it. Yeah. And so the whole idea of any kind of physical theater school is like, okay, all performance all humans in front of other humans is physical communication is like all theater is physical theater. If you're a body on stage, people are seeing you and you're communicating something. Uh huh. This is about knowing what it is you're communicating, that starting to know. Fascinating. It's cool that that was kind of the crux of it, you know, that the psychology and the performance had always been there. And then, cause you did that within the last what, three or four years. Mm-hmm. It was 2015, no, 2014, 2015 that I went for that. And school. you were in your London and Berlin. That's amazing. How long was the program? It was at the time it was 2 years for 6 months each year. Mm-hmm. And that had to do with visa regulations in the UK. Gotcha. And now that they've moved entirely to Berlin, they're extending it back to like a 9-month academic cool year schedule. Man, what were some of the biggest things that you took away from learning about that physical communication? Man, it's so hard to say. I think that because it was so experiential, there's something about experiential learning that feels more like wisdom than like knowledge. And I think that's what I learned. It's like I have some more awareness and comfort in my body. Yeah. I feel more confident as a performer that I can communicate what I mean to communicate and that if I... And also that if I'm not communicating what I mean to communicate, that I can try again. Like, I think the experience of trying so many different things and and failing all the time, <laughs> like just so much failure uh-huh. and so much like, uh, you know, kind but rough feedback. Like they're, you know, they're doing it with the utmost compassion, uh-huh. but they're not gentle about it. Right. And I think what I took from that is like, yeah, just go try, be yourself. First and foremost, like you have fun, you bring what you want to bring and then see what it does to your audience. 
And then if that's not what you wanted, then try again. Were there all sorts of international students? Like, were there common languages or was it? So it was taught in English. Everything was taught in English. And for some students, that was a real struggle. Yeah. And it was interesting as a native English speaker that I couldn't tell if it was that like the Brits and the Americans are just like people that like to dominate other people (laughs) (laughs) or if it was like the language thing that like in devising practice, the English speakers would be dominating a lot. Although I will say like uh, all my classmates from India, like, English is their first language as well. They just happen to also, they're bilingual, you know, like. Right. But English is like the one of the national languages of India. Uh-huh. But for some people, it was cool because we did a lot of improvisation and you would do it in your native tongue. Cool. And English speakers in that instance would be at a disadvantage or we really would have to be reading body language because the person you're talking to may or may not be speaking the same language and so i would be speaking with i remember speaking with my classmate chrysanthi we were doing an improvisation and she's greek and she was speaking greek and i was speaking english and she understands english really well right i I don't understand greek fascinating yeah of course (laughs) i would put you at a disadvantage yeah so that's a cool contrast to the idea of all of the english speakers being these you know bullish like americans and brits and being a little put in their place yes so in devising, when you're devi- like talking to each other in English about what you're going to do, English-speaking voices dominated. In the practices, like in the improv classes, improvising in front of the teacher, as an English speaker, I had to be, I had to get out of my head about what the words meant. Yeah. And you really have to connect. I was really trying to connect with the person's body language and their tone of voice and like, what they're communicating to me that way. And they would, there would be more of a necessity for them to give you more of that too, I would think. Yeah. And I, I, as an improviser in Chicago and now teaching improv, it taught me that the words are communicating so much less than we think they are. Huh. That the, (laughs) like teaching improv, I see people get really tripped up on the words and like the ideas of a scene. Yeah. And there's so much going on between the people that they're not noticing. Yeah. Sometimes the thing that's going on between the people in the improv scene, the thing going on between the people is that they're really uncomfortable with each other. <laughs> like, especially in a lot of like earlier teams, like you're watching them, you're like, ooh, these people are uncomfortable <laughs> with each other. <laughs> yeah. So play with that. Uh-huh. That's the truth of what's actually happening, not whatever bullshit you're talking about, like, uh, well, we went to the farm and all the pigs turned out to be sheep. Like, yeah. no, right. no one cares. Okay, why are you? Why when you're saying that are your palms sweating bullets? Yes, <laughs> you're standing that your shoulders are next to your yeah. ears. And like your arms are crossed like in front of your nipples like you need to protect yourself. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. I briefly coached a team and, well, I coached them for a while, but I've only ever coached that one team with any consistency Mm -hmm. is a more accurate thing to say. (laughs) And a big note I would give them is that if they laughed in a scene, which a couple of them were very want to do, I would just be like, use it. 
Yeah. <laughs> Use it. It's real. That's a note that I've heard from teachers before, but it's similar to what you're saying because it's like, man, if you find something in a scene funny, just let your character find it funny. Yeah. Or if your scene partner is laughing at you, you know, in those exercises you were doing, if someone started laughing, that <laughs> would be, that would trump the rest of the language, yes. you know? It's golden. Right. Yeah. And that's so easy. It's so such an easy thing that people who are just getting comfortable with playing with one another they always hear these basic rules that we tell people and just let that shove down a bunch of things that could make it so much easier. Yes. The rules are like, like the ideas around the rules are just like, yeah, like the phrase shove down. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really, there's a lot of like, I think people think that following a rule means ignoring your natural instinct. Right. Yes. And I think the rules are, for me, it's like trying to clear away things, mm -hmm. trying to clear things away that get in the path of you playing with someone. Right. And we put we have all these barriers between us anyway. Like if you live in a city, <laughs> I and I talk about this a lot with my students, like we pretend all the time that we have no feelings whatsoever. Yeah. We sit on the train and we're just like, <laughs> I am neutral. I'm on my phone. I'm listening. And like. <laughs> Even if you're like looking at a text message that like fills your heart with joy. Right. It's like your mom texted you the nicest thing about how much she believes in you. Your face is so <laughs> neutral. <laughs> On the train, you know, like you're not turning to the person next to you and be like, Ugh, check out this thing for my mom. Yes. <laughs> and it's like we just pretend all the time that we have no feelings mm -hmm. and we do it. For our protection a lot, too. That's like even in interpersonal relationships, it's like, I don't care what you think. You know? <laughs> sure. Or like if you're in a conflict with somebody, you're like, I'm not mad. They're just wrong. <laughs> um, like, you know, or even on stage, mm -hmm. if you're trying to perform something and the audience isn't into it, it's such a natural instinct to go. I don't care if you like this. Right. Eh, I'm, I don't care about what I'm doing. Yeah, you you're you're not liking it doesn't affect me. Oh, and but how many times have we seen a stand up acknowledge how badly a joke just went and it kills? <laughs> yes, the audience can finally breathe because it's like you're not pretending that this <laughs> yeah. is going well. Stop, like you know, don't yeah. pretend. Yeah, I think uh, even in improv, it's like if 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 I can drop into a character where I feel it in my body, I'm less likely to break and mm -hmm. less likely to feel like I'm pretending something. Yeah. It's more like I, the performer, I'm doing a fun task. <laughs> I love you know? that. Uh -huh. I'm the performer and I'm doing the fun task of like, okay, this character is like bopping around and like, <laughs> ooh, I'm going to keep moving my body like this and this task is fun for me. Or like, uh -huh. uh, I'm doing the fun task of just being incredibly still <laughs> and staring at someone. You know, like uh -huh. I am free to have fun playing Instead of uh, worrying about, like, the ideas, I guess. What should I be saying to this? And yeah, what scene is going to come next? And yeah. Et cetera. How were the kind of uh, basics of things like improv and devising is a word that you used. Mm -hmm. How were those kind of things communicated in courses? In... The improv classes at this physical theater school I went to, which is called the London International School of Performing Arts, or that's what it's, it was called. The acronym is LISPA. Mm -hmm. Now that it's in Berlin, it just goes by the acronym because obviously it's not in London anymore. Oh, that's funny. Uh, it's just <laughs> LISPA Berlin. And at that school, improv classes 
different from improv in Chicago where it's like, get a suggestion and just go. Right. This was like, you would improvise a scenario and everyone would have kind of the same scenario, hmm. but you would find so much variety in it. So it would be like, and God, it was so much fun to watch different people's versions too, because there was one that was like three people on stage, uh, kind of a- arranged in a diagonal. And the person sitting in the middle thinks that one of the other people is flirting with them. Like they're all in a cafe. Yeah. And the person in the middle thinks that one person is flirting with them from across the cafe, but they're really flirting with the person like behind Behind them. them. (laughs) And the person in the middle is the one who's kind of in focus on this. And that person uh, like gets really into it Uh to the point that that person goes on a huge fantasy about (laughs) like what that is like. And kind of like, I just remember my friend Faith, hers, was so funny to me. It was like, I think the first week of our first year, I didn't really know her. And she's this like wild British woman, uh, English. And she, <laughs> she, her reaction was like to completely just have an orgasm on stage. But like, <laughs> she's, she's like, oh. And she was like, uh, she's so flexible and like really loves to move her body in like these um, I want to say extreme ways, but it's, it's just like she could just really use her body. And she was just in the chair, like uh, Writhing. her legs were in the air. And like, you know, she was just like, oh, oh <laughs> and it was my gosh. so funny. And then there's the moment uh, then at the end of the improvisation, you have to realize that, that it, it wasn't was the you. person behind you. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have that beautiful moment. Oh, my gosh. Um, so that was like the improv classes were a lot like that. Of, That's like, so cool. It was so fun. And a lot of it like. I remember doing one where you're a teacher in front of a class that doesn't like you and you're nervous and you're trying to teach something. And then you get so into the material that you're teaching that you go on a huge fantasy and like really, really go wild. (laughs) And that then the class, uh, and then you finally like come back to reality and see the class staring at you. (laughs) But in the middle part, you really have to go wild. And I remember the teacher being like, you could have gone farther, you know, and just feeling this like, oh, like what's wrong with me? Why, you know, I've got this lid on my creativity and why can't I pop it off? Um, And that's what a lot of it was, was like, stop limiting yourself. Just going to a hundred. Yeah, because there were people, you know, there were people in my class some of us were so concerned about executing the exercise correctly Mm. and some people were just having the time of their lives. I bet that there would be some, some just truly fascinating artistic types in a group like that. Cause the teachers never, if you went for it in a way that like wasn't the exercise, they didn't give a single shit. (laughs) Yeah. They weren't, they weren't going to be like, you did that wrong. Right. They're, of course. Yeah. They might tell you, well, that wasn't the exercise, but I loved what you did. Right. You know, <laughs> that's really funny. And like, I think that thing with impro- improv teaching too, I'm just like, go up there. Fuck it. Just do it. Mm-hmm. Do what you think the exercise is as fu- in as fun a way as you like have as much fun doing it as possible and find out later what you did. Right. You yeah. Know? Like that's. That's what this is about. Yeah. If you're going to fail, please fail big. I, for my job, teach professional training classes. And the last thing that we do is this uh, hands-on lab where um, people will just very gradually change the parameters of what they're doing. Mm. And in sometimes in ways that it would take forever for them to actually reach 
what we want them to get to. So we all the time are saying, why don't you just blow it out? Because (laughs) if you do it wrong or it messes up, then you have brackets, you know, then you know it has to be less than this. But if you never get close to it, you have no bracket. It will take infinity to get to where you need it to be. Yeah, you keep going halfway there and then halfway there and then halfway Right, exactly. There. I keep thinking about the way that we learn growth mindset versus fixed mindset. Have you heard about that? Okay, there's a book called Mindset by Carol Dweck and she just goes in depth about that particular dichotomy and that's growth mindset is that you know, you can increase your skills in anything. And fixed mindset is I have a set level of skill Mm. and I, a lot of actually very high achievers can fall in. Well, it depends. A lot of people who are very smart in school go in that fixed mindset because people have told them you're smart and that's like an inborn quality, not you worked hard or you tried, you know, like you did your best. And Thinking about what you just said about learning, it's like if we're in a learning environment, you're not supposed to be perfect at it already. Right. It's not that taking a test is supposed to reveal like your inborn skill set. Oh, my gosh. And that's fascinating with the people who come to our classes because all these people who, for the most part, professionally been doing this. Mm -hmm. My boss says all the time that often beginners are much easier to teach because they don't have preconceived notions about what the instrumentation can do and what their own abilities are. Yeah. And that makes so much sense in what you're saying. That's really interesting. Yeah. We never, it's hard. It's hard to find out that you've been wrong. <laughs> like, but that's the only way to find what the truth is. You know, like uh, uh, if I'm thinking about improv classes too, it's like you are here to learn. So use this time. Like I'm not grading you. you yeah. know, like I'm not, I'm really not grading you. If you try some new stuff here and even if, you know, if I'm teaching at IO, for example, and the idea is like, Oh, I really want to get on a Herald team. Like that it's all these external carrots that people are going for. And is it just that you want to be on a Herald team or do you want to like be the most fully realized artist in this Or do you want to be good at what you're doing? Yeah. yeah. Like, do you want to find out how you want to do this art form and how, like, you can do it the best that you can do it? That's such a good way to put it because, like, are you taking this program to only be on a team here? Mm-hmm. Uh, because if so, that's probably a bit of a waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, what are you gaining from it? Not, like, what you think other people think of you doing it. Right. Yeah. I want every student to be them. Yeah. You know, like I want you, I, all my students, I don't care if they get on a Herald team. If, if getting on a Herald team means that they have to conform to an external standard, that's one thing. Right. If it's like, I, I'm on a team and we get to be what we want to be. Right. That's another. Yeah. And I encourage them for independent teams all the time. Oh, yes. And it feels like that's, um, that <laughs> I think the longer that you're here, the more you recognize that those are the reasons that you take classes anyway, <laughs> is yeah. to play as yourself and find other people who are playing as themselves who you think are really funny and fun to be around, you yeah. know? And even even past uh, the class process, in the just performing in the community process, it's like that should be so much more of what it's about than an endgame is. 
because uh, if you're not enjoying the people that you're playing with, what's the point? What's the point? <laughs> yeah. And and audiences read that stuff. It's You know, it goes back to it, it being apparent, you know, in everything that people play on stage. It, They're saying all these, like, non-no-no's to each other. Yes. Uh, they're like shitting on each other's they're characters. Selfish uh, choices uh, and showboaty stuff. It's weird. Calling things out instead of accepting them as part of the reality of what's going on. Right. Yeah. Uh, and there's like these, you know, teams that have been together forever and they can mess with each other in these amazing right. ways because they love each other. Yeah. And sometimes younger teams, I think, see that. And they're like, oh, I'm going to pull this move that I saw in like a Cook County social right. show to name a team that doesn't even perform in <laughs> Chicago anymore. But like they mess That's with That's a each good other, example, you know, like, though, because you have some people who are, you know, some of the best who perform at the theater. And then the students who go see it, and they're like, I want to try to yeah. do something like that. I'm going to mess with someone on my team. It's like the trust isn't there. Right. You know, if you mess with someone by pimping them into doing something really hard or doing an accent they don't know or yeah. something like that. If they don't know you and trust you that much, it's just gonna make you look like a dick. Yeah, they they're like, oh crap, like, and immediately, yeah, stuns yeah. them. <laughs> Instead of like, oh my gosh, my friend wants me to like embarrass myself in a fun way. Like they're gonna enjoy this, and I'm right. gonna enjoy doing it with them. Right, and that's a really interesting, you know, parallel to the there being wordless communication in that interaction. Yeah. Yeah, there's also, I mean, like, meta communication, too, of, like, um, man, for me, it's related a lot to social justice, too, of, like, who gets to speak, like, within groups, whose voice is heard the most, and when people overlap each other in speaking, who who drops out of speaking Mm. and who continues to talk, Hmm. and... Yeah, the people who feel empowered in different spaces to voice their opinion and the people who mostly are there and listen. I Like that meta-communication of what number of words did this person get to say versus right. what number did that person get to say. Yeah, what does uh, possession of the ball look like? <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, I talk about it in performance of like, letting go of that that idea of we're going to hide our feelings and being like, I'm going to fully embody a feeling and that's what's going to lead me somewhere. Right. I think that in real life, I want more of that too. Interesting. Which, uh, so that kind of leads me to the nonviolent communication part. Yeah. Which is instead of trying to dominate someone with ideas and see whose idea is right, it's more about the feeling, because I think we've, um, you know, in the Star Trek universe, this idea that like the Vulcans logic allows them like to see clearly huh. and that like that's the truth of things. Huh. But then uh-huh. even Spock kind of realized that like emotions also can show you some truth. Yeah. There's there's a reason why humans have emotions like humans and other animals. Like emotions are helping us survive. Right. Yes. Fear helps us survive. Right. Anger helps us survive. Yes. Happiness helps us survive. So it's leading you. It's actually telling you something important. I think we get trapped in emotions sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It's like a feedback loop almost. It's like I have this emotion and therefore this idea is true. And I let that idea keep feeding the emotion. Mm hmm. Instead of just being present to the emotion. Mm, yeah, that's. I feel like that's huge when you're talking about something like anxiety. Mm-hmm. 
because uh, it feels like that's just the constant loop of feeling a certain fear and it just feeding itself and yes. not being able to see the fear, address that it's present and allow that to kind of color how you deal with it, basically. Yeah. that Yeah. And sometimes it's like physical, too, like feeling like, oh, I'm in a social situation i'm at a party my heart rate is up yes and like my my arms are like tingling <laughs> right right and i and i'm looking around and i'm and i think everyone's judging me <laughs> yeah. it's the thought that everyone's judging me that's bothering me if i could just focus on like ooh, like ooh, my body like i'm my heart rate's up and my arms are tingling i feel i feel weird yeah i could either like just deal with the physical sensation and be like, okay, yeah, if I go outside, I'll be less overwhelmed. Yeah. And then maybe even out there, if there's someone I trust out there, and even someone you don't know. Right. I'm always surprised at how, like, people I don't know are, they respond so well to when I'm honest about how I'm feeling. <laughs> cool. You know, like, even negative feelings would be like, oh, I could not be in that room. Yeah. You know? Like, I was really freaking out or whatever. People have that, like, physical compassion to, like, yeah. You know, I feel that in my body, right. too. And part of nonviolent communication is is that. It's like ownership of my feelings. I'm going to own my feelings and relate it to something that I need without translating it into a judgment of the situation. Oh, man. Right? That is profound. <laughs> like... Instead of not being like, oh, I feel bad. This party sucks. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, like, you know, I feel anxious. The whole improv community is full of losers <laughs> who like are like competitive and trying to snipe at each other. There's a problem instead of like, oh, I feel this way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the framework, if you're talking like the literal framework of the idea of nonviolent communication as communicated by Marshall Rosenberg in the book, Nonviolent Communication. Um <laughs> He talks about making an observation, like a literal observation of what exactly happened. So when that person across the room glanced at me and then laughed, mm. right? I'm not saying like when, like, oh, you were making fun of me. I'm saying when that person across the room glanced at me, then laughed, I felt embarrassed. Attacked. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, that's an interesting word too. Cause it talks about feeling words that Words that we use to express feelings that actually express an interpretation of what someone Ooh, else did. Interesting. So if you say, like, I feel attacked, underneath that is, like, you attacked me. Right. Um, it's just a different... But you can't say... Well, I guess you could say, you embarrassed me. Ah. And that's a different Yeah, but even then you would say, point. like, I felt embarrassed. Hmm. So, like, that person was probably not trying to embarrass you. you right. Know, like, that person, the action they did, they weren't like, I'm going to embarrass you. Right. You know, they are like... I'm going to connect with my friend over something. Like I'm laughing with my friend about something. And I, as a person, you know, if the other person across the room doesn't even know that it was about her. So say, even saying like, you embarrass me, you, uh, you know, you made me angry is not owning my feelings. Right. I'm saying, uh, when you did this very specific action, I felt this feeling inside myself mm -hmm. be related to a need that I had. So mm -hmm. it's like, um, when you walked away from me, I felt really angry because I wanted to be heard. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when you walked away from me, I felt angry because I still had more to say. Hmm. And I was feeling frustrated because I wanted to communicate the rest of my feeling with you. 
and making all of the communicative properties about the way you feel as opposed to the way someone yeah made you feel yeah letting every person own their own feelings and own their own actions and not assuming intent behind actions either um and you know feeling free to communicate intent behind actions so it goes like observation feeling and you can relate that feeling to a need like if and that's the hard part for me actually is to find Hmm. out like why i'm feeling the way i'm feeling and even when I relate a feeling to a need, I'm like, I wonder if I'm just making this up. You know, like, am I just like, maybe I right. felt this way because that's how my body felt at the time. It feels, it seems like there's not a hard right or wrong. There's a, that's a really nebulous yeah. aspect of human nature. Yeah. So saying like, I think this is what I needed. And it's all just a process. It's like an ongoing pro- process. Cause then you can make a request. So the last step is making a request and it's truly a request, not a demand. The other person, like, if, if it's, like, if you don't honor my request, you know, I'm going to be really mad and not talk to you. Like, that's a demand. That's unfair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and if the other person denies the request, it's probably related to some way they're feeling something they're needing that also hasn't been fully expressed. Uh-huh. So it's, like, this is all I can do. Mm-hmm. And if you can't respond to that, then it might be on your end kind of thing. Yeah. It's, like, you know kind of trying to keep the conversation going until you find out what's really at the bottom of it for both people Mm -hmm. so that both people can feel completely heard by the other person, feel like I've communicated what I meant to communicate. And I think it's that thing too, like with this framework, I'm again focusing on like, what do people mean to communicate? Like what's actually going on with that person? Not like what are the ideas about what's going on? To me, this reads as like, mindful communication yeah that's what it feels like it's just being very mindful of yourself and how something made you feel yeah i've actually never i've i relate it to mindfulness but i've never in my i've never referred to it as mindful communication so i like that um i like that a lot (laughs) because it's also Uh, trying to be mindful of the other person right they're communicating Mm -hmm. because the other the other side of it is marshall rosenberg talks about receiving communication nonviolently. Huh. So even when someone communicates in maybe a more violent way, if they're like, if they say like, you attacked me, you insulted me, you, you disrespected me to first like take care of myself mm-hmm. and be like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to take this personally. Like I, I can hold my, my integrity and say, that's not what I actually did. So I'm going to try to figure out what it is this person means and say, okay, are you feeling angry right now? Because, and again, it's putting it in the framework of not, are you feeling angry because I walked away? Right. Saying, are you feeling angry because you had more to say? Mm. Like, are you feeling angry because you needed more listening? Man, and it's almost the exact opposite of when you're trying to figure out why you, you know, how you responded it becomes and it, and it's all I feel mm-hmm. kind of thoughts and statements and it's I think you are feeling this or asking those questions yes. I guess and uh, yeah and making sure it's like asking it's true curiosity and right like, if they say no fine great like just opening up the conversation of like okay and giving them permission to feel that way yeah if they do exactly and letting it be I have a huge thing where I I take responsibility for other people's feelings that I don't need to take responsibility for. Preach, yeah. I'm like, you feel this way because I did something wrong. (laughs) 
you know? It's like, yeah. I didn't know I did something wrong. I didn't know. Yeah. I, didn't, I wouldn't have done it if I knew it would hurt you so much. You know, like, yeah. I wouldn't have done it if I knew that your response would be so much pain. Um, I think I'm better at observing others' conflicts <laughs> and being able to be like, listen, I think this person's mad because of x you know and that you can't take responsibility for that and you've done everything you can to respond to that and if person if that person's gonna remain angry there's only so much you can do it's gonna have to be their you know turn to (laughs) figure out to come to that same like piece of you know I'm angry because of this. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it doesn't actually have to do with this person. And this person's done everything they could to acknowledge that they frustrated me. You know, there's, yeah. I feel like, and, and interpersonally it's more difficult. Cause like you said, I think I'm also want to be like, you're right. I fucked up. Oh, this is all my fault. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you didn't know. Right. You know, and now, you know, uh-huh. uh, and, and in those cases, that you might also get a chance to say what you were feeling at the time and what you were needing and how that led to the thing that you did. Right. And that like what you're feeling and needing now, or, you know, it's like, Oh, I feel embarrassed. I feel ashamed. I feel, um, I do feel remorse because I, you know, I want people to feel comfortable around me or I want people to, I want to listen to people. And I, I, clearly didn't listen as well as I thought I did in that case, you know, whatever that is. Do you find yourself being, I guess, consciously having these kind of thought processes? Yeah. I mean, I also fail all the time. Yeah, of course. It's ingrained in us. I think somehow the way that we use language and I don't, I do think in some ways it's particular to the English language or the way we use English as talking about like the way things are versus like processes happening. You know, it's like, uh, things are this way. Right. I'm trying to like uncover a fact about the world, which is useful in so many ways, I think, but it's also, we, how do I say this? We're used to using language. I think in terms of like labeling things with adjectives and nouns and saying like, um, Oh, that's frustrating. Mm. Instead of, I feel frustrated. Mm. Yeah. Instead of like, there's something going on inside me. It's like, no, this is the way that that action is. Right. Whereas not everyone would feel frustrated by that. Yes. In that situation. Ugh, that's such a good way to put it. Because like, if someone's, you know, smoking a cigarette outside of a bar and you have to walk through it. Yeah. I feel like, especially for, for a non-smoker, you're like, yeah. ugh, that is disgusting. Right. But... It doesn't discuss that person. Right. It only discusses you. I am disgusted by that person smoking. Yeah. I'll walk across the street. Exactly. (laughs) When I smell cigarette smoke, I feel disgusted. Right. Because I don't like that smell. Yeah. Like some people are like, oh, it reminds me of this person I love. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like I need to remove myself from this situation as opposed to feeling like I can impose that disgust on everyone around me. Yes. It's more about you. Yeah. I, and we use that language all the time of like, that made me feel, Mm. you made me feel this way. 
it makes me feel this way. Nothing makes you, nothing can make you feel that way. The feeling arises. Like there's a stimulus Hmm. and the feeling arises in response to the stimulus because of something in you. Man, yeah. I, if I'm tired, if I'm physically tired, different emotions arise from when I'm energized. Man, yeah. So much of this is very like, it comes up in, romantic relationships just because you spend so much time around that person Mm -hmm. and find yourself having to talk through all these things. Mm -hmm. But that is such a big one. (laughs) Like if I, you know, snap and I realize it's just because I'm exhausted. Every once in a while I'll catch it and just be like, I'm so sorry. I'm really tired. I did not mean that. Like, (laughs) yeah. I sorry for some reason when you were saying that and I got into this, I just had a memory of vivid memory of as being a child. And every time someone would try to tell me I was behaving a certain way because I was tired, or oh. I felt some way because I was hungry, I would feel really angry. <laughs> like I wanted people to acknowledge like I, there's a reason I feel this way. Yeah. And it's like, and I wanted people to acknowledge that it was something about yeah. the world outside of right. me. Right. Yeah. And not about, me being right. hungry or tired. I'm sorry I asked you to do that. It was unfair or whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a combination of both. It's like maybe this is something that like if I were feeling better, it would only bother me a little and I would be able to handle it. Or like, you know, and right. again, I even said it would bother me. <laughs> right, you know, right. I would only feel a little angry or I would feel a little frustrated uh-huh. and I would choose to ignore it. Right. And like maybe maybe it's that I actually need to talk about it when I'm feeling better physically and yeah. say, Oof. you know, I just That's feel a, a little too. frustrated. Like I feel there is a lot to be said for how this relates to children in general mm-hmm. because so much of their communication abilities are different and yeah. uh are and their emotions are so much more raw. Yeah. And they haven't, you know, they haven't been taught themselves. <laughs> yeah. Shove it all down. Yeah. And we, uh, I've been learning. So my job, I work in Chicago public schools to implement restorative justice practices. Wow. Yeah. It's, I really like it and I really hate it. <laughs> you know, I can't I, imagine. Yeah. Um, I I feel really lucky to be able to do something I believe in uh-huh. a lot. And a huge part of it is I I feel a huge barrier to implementing restorative justice practices, which is a lot about relationship building mm-hmm. and ultimately I think is anti-hierarchical because it's about hearing from all people oh, in a situation. Wow. Like all people's perspectives are needed and wanted and all yeah, people, students opinion is valid and Yes. And adultism. The way that they're interacting with the school is valid regardless of whether the school sees it as a student problem. Yes. A lot of people have heard the the term ageism, Mm. which is a more general term. um, The same way that like racism is a more general term. But adultism is like the specific, like here is the group that is privileged in this interaction. So it's like saying the words white supremacy, right? Like that's the group that's privileged in those interactions. It's not just saying general, like this is racism. This is about race. It's like naming the group that's privileged. Right. And so adultism names that it's a more specific version of ageism. Yeah. And in a lot of those interactions, the adult is valued more. The adult's opinion is valued more. And we 
we aren't acknowledging the experience of young people for for what it is. They may experience things differently from how adults do, and it may have to do with brain development, but it doesn't mean that their experiences aren't valid. And especially in a learning environment that is for young people. Right. I believe that it's in our best interest to listen to the young people about how they're best going to learn yeah. instead of assuming and telling them you need to learn on my terms. So what does your day-to-day job look like where that's concerned? Are you going into schools and helping communication practices? Yes. I have struggled with structuring my work. Yeah, it sounds totally thankless where that's concerned, (laughs) to be honest. I mean, it sounds... Uh, it's like you said, it's amazing that you get to work in this field, but I can imagine it would just be a pretty daunting task on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, because I'm there for the whole school. I'm there for relationship building in the whole school. So I'm there for students to talk about their conflicts with each other. I'm there for teachers and students to talk about conflicts between teachers and students. I'm there for the adult community to build up their relationships with each other so that they can model positive, healthy relationships for the young people around them and so that they can feel better at work. Right. I'm there for the administration to be able to communicate better with teachers and listen to teachers better. Man. So it's like structuring that work, I have found overwhelming. I felt overwhelmed. I have felt uh, frustrated at times and I the overwhelm I think comes from I want to be able to meet everyone's needs. Sure. And I'm only one person. Yeah. And I'm seeing a lot of needs in the school and I I have to be humble. I have to tell myself like uh you know, sit down, be humble, mm-hmm. like Kendrick Lamar would say. <laughs> and I have to tell myself too that like if I'm talking to one student or one teacher or one administrator, if we're talking through this communication in this way, if I'm able to impart some of this way of thinking about communication and relationships, then they're doing the work as well. Mm. If it's working for them, right? And I have to acknowledge and honor their autonomy in saying, if this way of communicating and this way of resolving conflicts is not working for you, obviously you're not going to do it and, and spread the work throughout the school. Right. So it's also on me to keep the integrity of the work and to communicate it with integrity. Right. Because if it's if it's just you forcing your uh, agenda on everyone. Yeah. So much of this actually, I think, parallels with the conversations about improv, too. Yeah. In the sense that it you are <laughs> like you said the stu- the adults have to be able to build an environment for the students because if the students perceive that none of the people in the administration trust one another or have any respect for one another then they sure as hell aren't going to mm-hmm. they're looking for a reason not to have to <laughs> yeah they're like oh this school is dysfunctional right you know yeah and and i i really think that this kind of communication of empowering I believe that it is empowering. I believe it empowers me at least because I can say, okay, you know, I'm responsible for communicating my own feelings and my own feelings are valid. And, and like, I will share them Mm -hmm. because I, you know, like it means something. And, and if I want to do something about it, I have to do something about it. Right. So if students are in a school that they don't like, 
how can I talk to them about even small things they can do to make it closer to something they do like? Wow. So like, because a school, you know, the people in the school make the school. Yes. And, you know, I, I have a lot of feelings and and thoughts and judgments <laughs> about the way that resources are distributed sure. in Chicago oh, public schools and cannot in, fathom. Yeah. In the state, in the country, you know, that there is a lot to do with that. And there is like learned helplessness in communities that have not been cared for. Right. Like, huh. you know, if, the, if, if your experience of the world is being let down constantly, you know, uh, to me, it's it's logical and makes sense with that feeling to to feel hopeless. Yeah, and man, to, and that is like, like seemingly an American epidemic. <laughs> yeah, and and it happens on many different levels. It's like people feel hopeless and look at a system and feel overwhelmed with the number of changes that would need to be made. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yes, right. And and don't start making one change. Well, it's it's a wash. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. And Oof. especially I and this is me imagining this, right? Cuz I'm a person who comes from privilege. Yeah. And I currently have a lot of privilege. Yeah. So I can imagine though that if if I were and I don't even work for CPS itself. So if I worked in an under-resourced CPS school that I would just be like I'm at capacity, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm just going to do my job and I can't make this place better. I, you know, that is understandable to me for people <laughs> to think that. Absolutely. And it's understandable to me for a student to think like I got stuck in this crappy school with dangerous students and like everyone around me is messing up. So why should I try to make a positive change? Yeah. Cause you know, and that's just on the most base level interaction of the student with the school or the teacher with the school. Yeah. Regardless of any of the other machinations, like you said, where <laughs> especially where like privilege is concerned, I'm sure that's such a huge issue as you travel across the city. I'm sure you see yeah. a lot of different levels of that. Um, I mean, I'm mainly in one school right now. Oh, okay. But I was doing coaching which is in in different schools mm -hmm. shorter projects mm -hmm. uh yeah but I, it's to me again it's about i try to focus on coming into this whatever school it is with some integrity of i know what i'm here to bring mm -hmm. and what i've struggled with is confidence in in what i'm bringing and that i that i have a place to communicate that because i'm I'm so aware of my privilege and I'm so, I, you know, I know there are probably many ways I'm not aware and I'm trying to be aware that I'm not aware. Sure. Uh, but that knowing that I come from a place of privilege and knowing that people who come from privileged groups often feel more empowered to speak than it goes others. back to the sharing the space and yeah. who's submitting to who talking over and things like that. Yeah. So I'm trying to listen first and offer, you know, I'm listening first and then here is some of the knowledge, some of the, the, some of what I have to offer. Mm -hmm. Like here's what I'm hearing and what you're saying that mm -hmm. I might be able to offer something for that. Um, yeah, it's, I, I'm just trying to navigate that. I don't want to come into a school and be another quote, you know, nice white lady <laughs> right. who is 
imposing right ideals that that really privilege whiteness and like performance of life in a way that's seen as like you know more respectable right uh when there are many different ways to live life yeah there there is no right way to live necessarily there are there's the impact of actions on people there's harm done to people and sometimes people barge into a place thinking they're doing right when actually they they do harm people receive harm from the judgments that they're feeling on how they're living mm. and so you never want to make someone feel wrong or bad yeah. for for being in the situation that they're in yeah so i you know i'm not going to say to a student like it's wrong for you to want to come here and hurt another student because of something they did to you. I'm not going to say it's wrong. I might say, I feel afraid. Right. I, I, I feel, I feel frustrated because my, you know, I see my purpose here as preventing violence and right. like, you know, and I've worked with you for a long time and, and I want, I want to feel like my work has an impact so I feel on a personal level frustrated, but it doesn't mean like you're feeling your want is wrong necessarily. I understand like you're trying to do, it seems like you're trying to do what you need to do to feel safe. Right. Um, I'm asking you, can you, you know, is there something else you can come up with? Man. Is there another option for you? Yeah. Um, That's so dense. <laughs> it's like, oh. so I have a, I've had this thought and it may be, it may take it off on a, a tangent, and it may not even really feel applicable for what you're talking about and what it is that you're interested in. But to me, it's hard to think about communication and nonviolent communication without thinking about the Internet and how much oh. those interactions have become in a lot of ways, you know, in a lot of spaces, toxic. You know, I'm mm-hmm. sure there, it's just like human interaction, you know. It goes back to that conversation about finding good people wherever you are and like-minded people and <laughs> echoing and things like that. Yeah. But that has to be so huge in this line of work, Yeah, you know? Yeah. I, oh man, online communication... I have to be careful with that for me, you know, I, I will feel frustrated and angry reading certain things. Right. And I, I do long for more personal ownership of feelings. Right. Um, And I, I don't know if it's like trolling, (laughs) you know, when people say, when they're like, when people say like you are this or like ugh she's so gross or you know like yeah oh he looks like uh you know a freak or whatever it's like right again like making a judgment on someone and just communicating the judgment instead of the feeling and to me there's also like well you know is it worth communicating <laughs> yeah know, like, man so much of especially things like social media where you're just taking in all of these opinions and you know just like triggered responses Mm -hmm. to specific you know pictures or occurrences or you know something on a small scale or a large scale everything is just so like weirdly calculated emotional responses to things yeah 
Yeah. And the emotional responses can also sometimes be like, I'm just picking up on the one thing that that person said that I had a strong emotion yeah. in response to that one thing. Yes. And instead of expressing my emotion, right, that the emotion that I had when I read that. Yes. I am going to put something on that person. I'm yeah. going to tell them what they meant. Huh. Yes. Which right. is really what I interpreted from how I felt. Yeah, man. So I saw this like beautiful uh, unicorn of an internet interaction recently. <laughs> and it was actually in a Facebook group that I'm in for a podcast. Weirdly, a podcast I don't listen to, but I know <laughs> the guys who run it. And that's why I joined. Um, because they've created this really good community of people who love their show. And um, it's like a debate style show um but not like more like pop culture like light debate what's it called it's called we got this cool and uh there was a post in it recently um where this one was like hey i kind of resent that Mm -hmm. you spoke about uh catherine bigelow was the topic of choice because they were talking about best picture winners Mm -hmm. And uh, she felt one of the hosts had been dismissive of one of Catherine Bigelow's films Mm. by saying something to the effect of it doesn't feel like a female gendered film. And she took umbrage with that, which I think we'd probably agree rightfully so. Mm. And the host almost immediately uh, commented, oh, my gosh. I don't remember anything I said of that nature. (laughs) So before I go back and listen, I would like to go ahead and apologize that you took something like that away from this conversation. Mm. I certainly didn't intend for that to happen. Um, Now I'm going to go see what I said and try to like uh, more intentionally respond to this. So she was like, wow, thank you so much for that being your first response. I, had a feeling it was something that you didn't really intend to imply kind of thing. And he came back and he was like, well, I just listened to what I said. It was very stupid. I apologize. (laughs) Uh, I ensure everyone that I never thought that this film was like better or worse than anything else or to imply that film has a strict gender and, and you know, et cetera. And just had this like beautiful response to it. And the woman was like, wow, thank you so much. This is so cool to have a forum where I could express the way this made me feel and you just totally take ownership of it and like every comment after that was like is this the is this the first positive interaction ever on the internet <laughs> like uh, right <laughs> was it isn't that cool like, i love that. very long story no, but a, a hat tip to uh to <laughs> the internet being able to produce things like that yeah. and i think it comes from these people having a mutual respect for one another yeah it sounds like the f- First thing, like where it came from, she's already in a group where she's saying, I love, I love this. Right. I appreciate it. Yes. Like I am first acknowledging all of the good I see in you and, and the things I su- like support and, and love. And she didn't go to the page on iTunes and write a nasty review and yes. give it one star and say, I can't believe this scum of the earth yes. is undermining this Oscar winning director. You know? Yeah. She... She picked out the exact action, the exact behavior, the exact words that when she heard it, she had this feeling Mm -hmm. and she talked about the feeling Mm -hmm. and she didn't take that and translate it into an idea of like, this guy is a misogynist. Right. You know, Uh, and the same thing, like he was able to own, I did say that and I don't, 
I don't believe that. Right. Like, I, I can see how that landed yeah. and what it might have suggested that I really think about the world. And I don't think that about the world. And I'm like, I'm owning that my words didn't communicate. Kind of betrayed me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there's so much. And part of the internet is that we don't know the people we're interacting exactly. with. We can't see them. We we don't know the fullness of their humanity. We just see a cardboard cutout in the shape of the thing they wrote on the internet. Right. Like, yeah. uh, in, rest- in restorative justice work, especially like the, um, the framework for the trainings that we do, we talk a lot about the iceberg and how you... There's so oh. much more under the surface yeah. than above the surface. <sighs> yes. And we only see what's above the surface in other people. And and I I notice myself treating other people as cardboard cutouts when I know myself to be three-dimensional. Yes. So why would I assume that other Man, people are not? That's such an interesting way to put it, to just uh, – it's just such a hard thing to be aware of that yeah. you don't uh, – give everyone the same three dimensions that you have yeah (laughs) yeah three dimensions and more i mean i the i think something that related to mindfulness practice something that i have noticed is that i don't even understand who i am (laughs) (laughs) right no it's so true though (laughs) <laughs> I, you know, I'm surprised by the way that I respond to things and I could write down a short story of one incident in my life and seem like a totally different person than if I wrote down a short story from a week later, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or even the next moment. So, and you're less likely, I feel like part of it too is you're likely to tell the story about either a very good thing or a very bad thing. Yeah. And you lose all the intimacy and intricacies in between because you're only talking about the extremes. Yeah. And I think that's, that's an internet effect as well. It feels like everything's either like good or bad. Yeah. And there's not much, not much in between in between. Yeah. This is outrageous. This is the best thing. No, it's outrageous. No, it's the best. Like, right. uh, I you know I think people have there is nuanced internet discussion. There are like longer articles. Do you think there's something to be said for that suppression of one's emotions in person and in public mm-hmm. and on a day to day basis that isn't as present when you are behind an internet uh, facade? I don't know. I see, I still see the same, I mean, again, it's, I'm looking through this framework and this lens of nonviolent communication and restorative justice practice that I've been looking at for a little bit. So, of course, when I'm using a lens like that, mm-hmm. I'm going to see, like, through it. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to see things that way. But what I'm seeing is people, again, expressing their feelings as ideas and judgments, Oh, you know? okay. Uh-huh. This is offensive, not I feel offended. Gotcha. Um, you know, all men or all white people or all conservatives or all liberals, you know, are this way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, a lot of that. Yeah. It's like, ooh, um, 
I I prefer to talk to to that individual like one on one. Right. You know, I prefer to hear from that person what they're feeling. And I've been trying also to 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 look through that framework and interpret like what is this person feeling from the words the, like the judgment they're expressing. So again, instead of taking something personally, cuz I do follow a lot of people on Facebook who will write things about white people and about white women and about the harmful things that white people and white women have done mm-hmm. or, you know, things that white people and white women have done that have harmed specifically people of color, you right. know? Um, and I have, I'm not have to, that's another kind of way of disowning <laughs> my own actions by saying I have to do something, but I am trying to be aware of my reactions reading those things too. You know, I might feel some anger right. come up because I... Are being I, lumped in in a way that yeah. is undesirable. And like, I want to be acknowledged for... What you're trying to yeah. do against what they're saying. Yeah. And then I have... I Not have to. Then I go into a thought process of like, this is not about me. Hmm. This is about a dynamic. Yes. And some of the dynamic that it's about is is people's tendency to make something about themselves. <laughs> and that like, right. and that white people's tend white people's attempts to make something about themselves are often more successful oh, than man. you know like because we're privileged. Yeah, the the concept of like uh white women's tears mm-hmm. is one that I've had to read about and kind of understand the impact of what that phrase and uh, idea really means and how I, (laughs) not have to, (laughs) should be aware of my own, you know, uh, place in that conversation. Yeah. I can't or shouldn't put my emotions in the way that I perceive something and uh, interact with something above what really needs what the conversation really needs to be about right i want to be able to acknowledge my emotions i want my my emotions to be present and i don't want my emotions to dominate a space that's a really good way to put it yeah because that seems to be what that problem is is uh something happened in the workplace a woman was you know blamed for something or uh something was brought to her attention and then she crumbles Mm -hmm. and becomes the focus of the situation when in actuality that never should have been what the focus was it's like someone was trying to express the impact that your action had on them yeah and it seems like you took it pretty personally right and then your actions become the total focal point in the end yeah and uh, you know I I I struggle with it I struggle Mm -hmm. with it a lot I feel a lot of guilt I feel a lot of anxiety I feel a lot of anxiety about my impact on other people and I'm trying to translate that into curiosity Hmm. about my impact on the other people and trying to translate that into um, determination to make it better. It's like that same growth versus fixed mindset to say, cool. I can grow into being 
less racist. <laughs> you know, like right. I I'm not I'm not gonna deny that I live in and grew up in a culture that values whiteness over other ways of being. Right. Uh, that values white people over people of color. And I didn't create that. Mm-hmm. But I think I can be a part of undoing it. And I I can't do it all at once. And I right. can't. I'm not going to be perfect. Um. Yeah. And I think my defensiveness comes from wanting to be perfect already and yeah. wanting people to say, you're a good girl. You're nice. <laughs> you're, you're one of the good ones. Right. Like um, white, all white women are a problem except Mary Kate Walthall. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Uh, and as much as I, I take issue with language that talks about a whole group as a monolith. Sure. Any group. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm, trying to take a step back and honor the voices of people of color who it's like, I don't want to tell someone because you didn't package your words in the right way. I'm not going to listen at all. Yes. Oh goodness. What an important thing to say. Yeah. I mean, it's in something as simple as black lives matter. Right. That has been such a huge issue. I'm just like, (laughs) it's so clear to me that that phrase doesn't mean that other lives don't matter. God, it's specifically highlighting that, People haven't seemed to believe that. There's an understood too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's an understood too. There's an understood too, not an understood more. Yes, exactly. It's like, (laughs) it's like raising your hand and saying, actually, I'm here. I'm right here. Right. And people and someone else being like, yeah, all of us are here. Yes, exactly. It's like, and, and, and in some ways they're even, I think there even can be a more right now. Yeah. (laughs) You know, but obviously for a large part of the country that it feels threatening, you know, that is a part of uh, a different group's learned, help, yeah. learned helplessness, you know, yeah. and, and it's, uh, man, it's really, it's really interesting to have to navigate all of it, but, yeah. you know, definitely doing it from a place of understand or trying to understand, I guess. Yeah. I was just thinking about like if you're if it's like a family member that I don't even know how to put this. It's like if your parents gave all their money to you and not to your sibling and your sibling was struggling like <laughs> wouldn't you like take care of your sibling? I wouldn't right. I, I don't know. I'm I'm trying to figure out the metaphor for this, but it's like if we're talking about the city of Chicago and talking about like the violence that's happening in some neighborhoods in Chicago and not in others. And we're one city. Like what happens in one part does affect other parts of the city. It's just that people feel there's some kind of buffer or, I just, I keep asking myself, like, why, why aren't people more concerned? Yeah. And especially, you know, why aren't people in city government more concerned? And if someone's struggling, why are we punishing them instead of 
like helping them learn or helping them heal from what they're struggling with. Yeah. Um, that is, I feel like that's the overarching question of like our entire social political situation as a country. I really do. Brian Stevenson, who wrote just mercy. Mm -hmm. uh, If you're a podcast lover, (laughs) uh, which probably people listening are, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. he was interviewed on the Ezra Klein show recently. And that's, it's like an hour and a half conversation. It's so, I just loved it. I, I felt inspired. I felt angry, uh, and it, but in that productive way, almost of just right. like, okay, it, this anger is pointing at an unfairness that it, that does exist, or this anger is pointing at something that I believe is unfair. Yeah, and now I can go after it. But something that Brian Stevenson said that really stuck with me was talking about how communities of Black people arrived in Chicago fleeing from domestic terrorism in the South, (sighs) fleeing from danger. They were refugees. And that rather than being welcomed in the way that we now know is like most beneficial to welcome refugees, it's not that we're doing it with refugees now. Sure. But we, we, I say we, obviously I didn't live in Chicago at that time, but Chicago as a city didn't, didn't welcome those communities in that way and didn't like provide a space for them to heal instead very much ignored. And, and we're kind of like, why are you here? We don't really want you here. Uh, and, and that immediately segregated the whole thing. Yeah. And the, the repercussions of that still exist today. Right. We as a country, as a city and as a country haven't addressed the harm that we've done. Absolutely not. And, and, I don't see a way forward until we do that. Yeah. Uh, I think it seems like that's how a lot of people feel. And I think that's uh, a big part of the the helplessness is like, well, what's the point of even trying to improve upon this when it seems like there's such a large thing that needs to be addressed before any of this actually moves forward? Yeah. I think it's going to feel worse maybe before it gets better because, you know, I, Brian Stevenson makes a lot of comparisons to Germany. And I think it's really apt because the German people had to really had to. But the German people really did face what Germany had done. Right. During World War Two. Right. That, you know, granted there are still going to be pockets of like neo-Nazis. There's still going to be pockets of people who, who are not facing it, but that for the most part as a whole, the German people looked at themselves and said, we did this. Yeah. That's and, such a huge part of Angela Merkel's, you know, life and mm-hmm. r- rise to, uh, you know, political power there is that she saw it, you know, she was like traveling back and forth across the wall, just like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And and they have monuments to the Holocaust. Yeah. You know, to to commemorate the victims of that. Right. And we don't have nearly enough such monuments in the United States yeah. for the several genocides. You know, for the for the for Native Americans and for 
enslaved peoples for we're just now getting to the point of talking about taking down monuments to the slavery yeah. like to the splitting of our country like yeah. it's and it's still a hot topic and some places are budging and some aren't yeah it's insane <laughs> it's to me yeah i I don't know how to talk about it sometimes because it seems so obvious. Yeah. Yeah. And I see that for other people, it is not so obvious Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to understand what that's about. Yeah. And I know, I mean, I, I feel pain. Like I, I feel pain knowing the, the, harm that I have benefited from you know like I yeah I I haven't had necessarily an easy time acknowledging that Mm -hmm. but for me it is very much worth it and for me this pain is way less than the harm that other people have been through right yes and that's I think that's probably one of the more important parts of it to address is yeah I am I also feel frustrated by my own place in this structure but I can't let that supersede what's actually being done yeah I I remember uh shortly after um the shootings in Charleston um they it kind of reignited this conversation about the confederate flag in South Carolina uh, because it was still on a monument that was on the uh, state house grounds. And I remember the conversation that took it off of the state building and put it in front of the grounds. And that being, you know, just huge across South Carolina, a, a major controversy, probably like 10 years ago. And uh, I remember talking to my dad about it and feeling trepidatious because <laughs> when I was growing up, one of the things that my dad um, enjoyed was non, like, th- Confederate flags that weren't the most recognizable one. Mm-hmm. So, like, alternate battle flags of the Confederacy. And he liked the fact that it could be, it could represent the Confederacy and not be immediately acknowledged as, like, everything that was wrapped up in the Confederate flag that we most strongly associate with it. And uh, so I didn't know how what that conversation was going to look like. And, uh, and he was like, you know what? That's not what that flag means to me. But if it is what it means to other people, then it should go. And I was like shocked. Wow. And that among other conversations with him has really given me faith that people can change and that yeah. thought process. He is, <laughs> as we were kind of talking a little bit off mic before, based on who you surround yourself with and the way that you choose to interact with information really can shape (laughs) the way that you're willing to, uh, you know, respond to things. And he's not perfect, but Mm -hmm. hearing that and knowing that he got it, you know, was really profound. And, uh, and it's, man, I guess I just hope that that like steady 
progress continues, but I can't help but agree with you that it seems like it's going to get worse before it gets better at this point. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, feel there's going to be like pain that actually has to, to be out in the open and Mm -hmm. it's happening. People are expressing anger yeah, and pain. I think that's a huge step. It seems like that's another benefit of the internet Yeah, is the availability of uh, human experience and the um, platform that uh, injustices are being given that have always been here that people just haven't been as aware of. Yeah. Is closing some of the gaps. Yeah, I agree. It's like this possibility for interaction is so much greater. Yes, that's such a good way to look at it. I think we can do better at expressing impact and at hearing impact. So very clearly expressing like this is how I feel and again, not like this is what what that was. It's like n- n- here's the impact it had on me. Right. I'm I'm expressing how I feel, and so it, it's like it means something. It can really hit you in the gut mm-hmm. when you hear someone say something like that. Mm-hmm. And also being able to hear it. It's right. It's both. <clears throat> because, it's a voice you wouldn't have heard otherwise. Yeah, and he- and being able to hear impact even when people are expressing it in a way that is hard to hear. Mm. Um, I think it's both. That's a really good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Not dismissing something just because you don't like how it was presented. Yeah. And that I, you know, I think, I do think everyone's voice has a place. Even the people I don't agree with. And even the people it's like, I sometimes I, I'm like, I see something. And I'm like, I believe that, you know, like, I believe there's harm coming from that uh, that opinion you're expressing. And so I want to engage with it and, and talk to you about it and like try to get to the bottom of where it's really coming from for you. Because I think on a basic level, when people are talking like basic human needs, there's not like, I, I, I truly believe people are just trying to get their, their needs met. Right. And that through indoctrination people believe they're going to get their needs met through certain means right that a i don't think are getting their needs met and b are actively working against other people's needs yeah so how how to like and get and back even to against their own needs yes right i mean there's a whole like the whole history of creating the idea of race in order to create a hierarchy right. in order to get poor whites on the side of rich whites while poor whites were also being oppressed. So it's Ugh. like, you know, we created these hierarchies. We created oppression for a purpose. Um, we can uncreate it. Yeah. Uh, it takes a lot of people and I think it takes a lot of time. Yeah. And clearly we have had are having will have setbacks <laughs> like, <laughs> right 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 and you know we're trying um we we may destroy ourselves before we create utopia um but maybe that will be the utopia <laughs> um, they get things pretty dark um i just blank slide this whole thing (laughs) (laughs) but you know it doesn't mean we i i still am on the side of trying to make things better i think so too and uh i think if we don't what's the 
point, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I think if we aren't trying to make it better, then what are we doing? Making it worse? Right. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. But yeah. I, change will happen. Change is always happening. It's just which direction is it going and what am I a part of? Yeah. How am I pushing that change? Because even by not doing something, I'm a part of like um, a wave of apathy. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. If Being I, implicit is a very popular thing to throw around in the yeah. current political climate. Yeah. We, you know, I, there's a lot to be said for like, I get it. It's like, it. I feel exhausted at this idea of like, I need to be doing something at all times. Right. Of course. I'm not doing enough. And if I'm not doing something, I'm actively working against it. Yeah. I get it. I, you know, I just want to do the best I can. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At some point, it seems like that's all we can ask is yeah. what people have to give. Uh, but again, that's coming from a very privileged place in the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And knowing that I'm going to fuck up. I'm going to fuck it right. up. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. Ugh, I think about stuff all the time that I've said that I wish I could take back. Just things <laughs> I said that were ignorant yeah. and can't come from, you know, just uh, casual misconceptions and things like that. I really do like, and I don't mean to be like, <laughs> look at me. <laughs> I'm sure there are hundreds of other things I've said or done that I don't even like remember or acknowledge. Right. But I really do find myself like looping. I guess that's one of my places where I feel guilty is for all of the like inadequacies. Oh, uh, yeah, It's hard. Um, but I guess I think... It goes back to like that, those good internet interactions of like, if you can do the best you can and acknowledge uh, your own pitfalls, it's yeah. probably a step in the right direction. And it's an asset. Like, you're knowing that you've come from a place where you used to believe things that you now are like, I don't think that's true. And I think that it's actually that other people received harm yeah. when I expressed that opinion. Right. Like, ugh, you know, you. I think you're in a place to talk to people who still have those opinions. Mm. Uh, I think you're in a place to talk about that change process and that someone like as a person, just because someone expresses a belief that is not correct, doesn't mean that person altogether is like a wrong person. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, sure. I was wrong, but I'm not like, wrongness is not an inborn quality of me yeah and we are all going to be wrong at certain uh -huh. points at any given moment guaranteed i'm wrong about at least what <laughs> thousands of things right uh, like yeah, i'm a tiny an human in a giant universe <laughs> yeah. i have no idea what i'm doing yeah um but you know i can once i've found out that i was wrong about something that's something i can now shine light on right yes uh, I think this is a good time to ask how you feel all of these uh, studies and interests in communication and uh, nonviolent communication and restorative justice and all these things that we've been talking about over the course of this great conversation, <laughs> if you ask me. Uh, how does all that stuff really continue to influence you creatively? Ooh. And how uh, is it present in your day-to-day -day life? Yeah. Ooh, uh, my day-to-day -day life, obviously with my job, mm -hmm. um, and I try to bring it to my friendships, relationships, family life. Um, that's probably easiest to answer is like I'm 
working on asking for what I need. I'm working on expressing impact and asking about my impact and creatively in my teaching, it impacts it a lot. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, um, being, you know, being open to other people's creative voice and expressing things, even as a teacher is like, here's how I saw that. Yeah. Not like that. This is the objective view of that piece of art. Right. There is no such thing. I was thinking that when you're talking about the LISPA program mm -hmm. and those professors having to find ways to say, you know, not really this exercise, but Loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Their whole thing was there is no right, there is no wrong. They would just kind of say what they observed mm -hmm. and, you know, be like, is that what you meant? You'd be like, no. <laughs> That's not what I meant. <laughs> Which in some ways is even harder to hear than if something was just right or wrong. Yeah. Not I'm like, sure. You know, um, in performing, it's a slower process I think I mean I also there's something about performing improv is like I'm definitely always playing characters that are not communicating nonviolently, you know um, <laughs> right but I'm also I'm trying to play I'm playing characters that do express and own their feelings you know it's like the, yeah. the body language is very clear and that like there's this laugh that comes from recognition and compassion with that person because they're like so open about how they feel and that it's like kind of expressing a worldview of like we are all ridiculous yeah you know uh, it's funny, like, it's funny that I feel this way and to, and to, it's like, that also has a feedback loop with my life to be able to look at myself as a character from the outside sometimes yes. and be like, oh my gosh, apparently I had a conversation with a, with a manager at my job that was like, she's like, what would it be like if you appreciated yourself more? Uh -uh. And it was like this very emotional conversation. Cause I started by me talking about, I was like overwhelmed with paperwork mm. And then I started laughing because I was like, if I appreciated myself more, I would be like, well, Mary Kate just has to cry for half an hour before she does any paperwork. <laughs> like, that's when Mary Kate does paperwork. Like, what a funny character that's like, right. you know? Uh, oh, and that's done. And there we okay. Go. Ha -ha, check. Now I can do my paperwork. Like, <laughs> you know? Um, that's wonderful. So trying to be gentle with myself and other people in that way. Um, I like this process that I'm a part of now for myself and for other people, I am aware that I fail <laughs> all the time. And so I don't want to talk about, I don't want to like, I don't ever want to give someone the impression that I think Stand I have on the a answer. Communication pedestal. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause I don't, I don't have the answer. Um, I just like this way of communicating it has, I've found it really useful for me and I've seen it open some things up for me in my life. I, re I do recommend the book Nonviolent Communication mm -hmm. by Marshall Rosenberg. Mm -hmm. I recommend the book Radical Honesty by Brad Blanton. Oh, I've heard of that. I think I might have talked about it Really? With you. Did I? I don't know. Maybe. I read about it in John Ronson's oh. book, uh, So You've Been Publicly Shamed. Well, I think he, I believe he has a whole chapter with where he like goes to one of the classes that the author of this uh, teaches cool. about radical honesty. I like using radical honesty. In, in Radical Honesty, he, he actually he speaks negatively about nonviolent communication. Interesting. Um, but I think that that's a misapprehension of nonviolent communication. I think there's some it's like there's something in between because the person that recommend that recommended Radical Honesty to me, my friend Janice Obel, she also has questions about nonviolent communication where she's like, 
it just sounds like it's making it all on one person. Hmm. You know, it's like, it's on you to receive communication nonviolently, even when the other person's being violent. And it's like, you know, how can we, can we expect better of that other person? It's right. Like, yes. I think that maybe there's something to be said for like making clear requests and then also having right. clear boundaries for ourselves. Of like if I know that, that to take care of my own needs, I'm going to have to remove myself from this situation, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third one for restorative justice work, it's a book called returning to the teachings by Rupert Ross. And I want to acknowledge that restorative justice practices, circle practice and the framework comes from a lot from first nations people and native Americans and that Rupert Ross himself is not first nations. He was a crown's attorney in Canada, but through his experience in working with indigenous peoples of Canada and working to incorporate their justice practices into the Canadian justice system. Um, yeah, he it's, so it's him communicating what was communicated to him. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, but I, I very much want to acknowledge that that, that comes from native American practice and the ways in which, uh, many different North American tribes, but also tribes from around the world. Uh, also, especially in Africa, ways in which those communities handle behaviors that have harmed other people in the community. Huh. I have come to believe that it's, it's a way that people really enjoy to interact with each other. And that also if we go back to older human societies in which if you imprisoned or banished every person that ever did something to <laughs> harm someone, you'd have nobody left. Right. And people need each other to survive. And it's just that now, I mean, it, to me, prison, we think we're getting rid of a problem. We're like throwing people away or or it's like out of sight, out of mind. But those people haven't gone away. Like they still exist. They, you know, they're still citizens. Yeah. Um, they're just in a much more complicated part of the system now. Yeah. And that's like, its own <laughs> monster it's on its own. But it's related. I think it's related to, it is related to education and it is about how, what kind of citizens do we want to have in our country? Do we want citizens to be invested in our country? And if so, how are we investing in our citizens? Right. Why should they, why should anyone care about a country that doesn't care about them? Yeah. There's a there's a part of the John Ronson book that addresses that as well. It basically has a a really simple, I believe it's like an empathy exercise where you write down the worst thing that you feel you've ever done to someone and the worst thing that's ever been done to you mm. and you perceive which of these things is in the grand scheme of life more damaging. Mm. Because it's like, if you, if the worst thing that's ever been done to you is that your house was broken into and you had things stolen and it took you a while to recuperate all of that, then it's, yeah. and that person maybe went to jail as a result of it, you know? And it's like, well, what's the worst thing I've ever done to someone, you know, mm-hmm. uh, cheated on a loved one and then they had to rebuild their entire, yeah. like, trust system in a relationship, but am I ever going to go to jail because of that? Right. No, yeah. but it, you know, it, it, it's, it's just like, it, it, and he, 
And he does, you know, he's like, I'm not even going to write here what I feel the worst thing I ever did to someone is. <laughs> That's how bad it is, you know? <laughs> yeah. And in that case, maybe the, maybe it turns out if you really look at the ultimate impact, the worst thing you ever did to someone was press charges. Yeah, For right. them breaking into your house. It, that very well may be true in the grand <laughs> scheme of things. Yeah. It's like, oh, that was a 17-year-old kid yeah. who was tried as an adult who did something maybe because of peer pressure or maybe because of poverty. A system that wor- that's working against them, yeah. yeah. And then that person, you know, because of that first foot in the justice system. It ruined the rest yeah. of their lives, yeah. Um, yeah. And to me, a crime is not, a crime is a community problem. A crime is a sign of something already being broken in the community. Ugh. Which is that that person doesn't care about the person whose house they broke into. That person doesn't know you. And, and there's a disconnect there. The community itself is not strong because people don't see the impact they're having on other people. And having a segregated city like Chicago increases that to me that that I think that's working against preventing crime. Yeah. Because that disconnect is saying, you know, you don't, we don't care about the impact we have on you. You don't care about the impact that you have on us. Right. And, you know, punishment is one possible consequence of something happening of a, of a crime being committed, but there are already consequences that have happened. The, a big part of restorative justice is that the person who was harmed is part of the process. And, it's all about addressing harm hmm. in a punitive system. Someone commits a crime and then they're like indebted to the state or like the state. It's like about the crime and the law that was broken mm-hmm. versus like, okay, what's the reason we have that law in place? Like who is, who's the person that it affected? Right. And allowing for that person to have a voice and to say, here's how it impacted me so that the person who did harm can, actually themselves be a part of the process of figuring out how to make it right. Yeah. Cause in both people, both the person who was harmed and the person who did harm lose power in a punitive system. The person who was harmed has no voice. The person who did harm is like in the hands of the state of like, either they're going to do something to you or they're not. Right. But you're not involved in like, even if you, you know, plead guilty, like you're not involved in what happens to you necessarily. Uh-huh. It's something happening to you. You're not make, you're not able to make it right yourself. Right. I mean, you can like that restorative practices are something that's cool to me. What's cool is that you just, you can just do that. Like if you do something that harms someone, you can just be a part of restoring that relationship. Huh? Or if you are harmed, you can be a part of a process of expressing that and res- trying to restore that relationship because you care about the relationship. You care about the other person because they're part of your community, even if they harmed you. Right. Or someone external to you cares about both parties. Like it's, because um, a punitive system, you know, it's just a lot of stuff happening to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the state is what holds the power, not the people. It's just the way it's all been structured for so long. There's, I think there is something to be said for shame. I... It's it's tricky to me. I, I um because that's another thing that Brian Stevenson talks about is like the importance for us to 
as a country to face this shame in our past. Like we're pretending like nothing happened. Right. Yeah. And it's like, how can we have the kind of shame that acknowledges impact without being the kind of like shame that paints ourselves as like all bad? It's a shame right. of like, I like, yeah, acknowledging like, gosh, like I or we, I am or we are capable of this amount of harm. And I feel shame about that. And that I translated into determination to keep that from happening in the future. Yeah. Versus like, I'm not ashamed at all and I'd do it again tomorrow. You know? Yeah. But there's also like a question of like what the impact is, you know? It's like, uh, yeah. You know? if, if someone's untouchable, uh, yeah, it's like you said, it, it just, it seems like they remain that way. Yeah. And they don't allow themselves to be criticized. But then, you know, on other things, there's such a thin skin and such a combative response. Right. Ugh, it's so frustrating. It's really interesting that in a conversation about communication, the idea of grouping and identity is so uh, imperative yeah, and such a large part of it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's that basic related to a basic human need of like, um, yeah, I want to be acknowledged. I want, um, I, I want other people to see me as three dimensional and not a cardboard cutout. Right. Um, or even, you know, like the kind of ridiculous sort of on a, on a radical honesty level. It's like, actually, I kind of only want people to see the, only the good parts of me. Ha, like, yeah. You know, if you're going to see a cardboard cutout, could you please see like the most attractive cardboard cutout? Man, and doesn't that <laughs> go back to social media and mm-hmm. the thing that you're putting up as your cardboard cutout? Image crafting. <sighs> and we craft images of other people in our own minds Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. We build little... Uh, little figurines of other people in our minds that are just from our limited experience of that person. Right. When, as we acknowledged earlier, even that person doesn't know who they are. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, well, I would love to continue to have this conversation and feel that we could, I think we should probably wrap things up. Yeah. Is there anything that you would feel remiss to not kind of button this with? Oh man. Be gentle with yourself <laughs> um, and be gentle with other people. Yeah. Um, you know, assume good intent. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to be curious about myself and other people. And I think there's something about, like you, you mentioned mindful communication. I think it's that. It's not just about like a, the structure of the words that we say. It's also underneath it. Like I'm aware, I'm being aware of my feelings. I'm being aware of your feelings. And I'm trying not to judge either. Just trying to figure it out. Yeah. Man. It seems like we could all do with a good dose of all of the above. <laughs> yeah, easier said than done. Oh, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, it's like, be gentle, be gentle. I'm angry. Yeah. <laughs> Hulk smash. Well, thank you so much for being willing to sit down and chat about all this with me. It was really uh, revelatory, and I feel like I'm going to be thinking about a lot of these uh, takeaways for a while. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love you, and I mean that. I love you, too. Baby, how you feeling? This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash to donate today. 
and go to www.nerdwalks.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am GrabBot23548X.